Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. The Law Enforcement Today Show is brought to you in part by Transformations Treatment Center. Many are using the term epidemic to describe the current problem of drug and or alcohol abuse in the United States. Virtually everyone we know has been negatively impacted by this problem. Yet for so many that are experiencing the devastating effects of drug and or alcohol abuse, they don't know who to turn to for help. Who can we trust to care for our loved ones? Transformations Treatment Center is one of the most respected, ethical, and professional drug and alcohol treatment centers in the world with a strong focus on individualized care, offering a wide range of holistic, specialized, and medically supervised treatment programs. We know that many of you have questions. Take the time to call Transformations Treatment Center for the answers. 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. Or go online to transformationstreatment.center. Calling us from the northeast portion of the United States, we have a very brave, courageous young lady named Megan on the phone. Megan, thanks so much for calling us on the Law Enforcement Today show. Thank you so much for having me. It is a pleasure to have you. And I want to applaud you right now for having the courage to talk about what you're going to talk about. This is not an easy conversation, and you're here to talk about an experience you went through with what's commonly referred to as DAPE or acquaintance rape. Originally, you were prepared to use your first name and your last name and the college you went to, but I convinced you to just go with your first name and we'll use the anonymous college because the freaks come out and we don't want people harassing you. Absolutely. So before we get the details of what happened and what you've been through, this has changed your life profoundly and you've gotten involved in some activities campus-wise that a lot of people would say, that's not typical for people in your late teenagers or early 20s on college campuses? From everything, since everything that happened, you know, I decided to get a little bit more involved with, you could say, organizations and groups on my campus. It actually was one of the things that really helped me kind of cope through everything. Before my experience, I was in the process of founding a personal safety and firearms club on my campus. And it was actually after everything happened that I kind of went full force with going into it, you know, really pushing that on my campus. And then I started getting involved more in organizations outside my campus, you know, Empowered 2A, CCDL. And it was all of those that really helped me by getting involved with those. And we say 2A, that's Second Amendment for a lot of people who aren't familiar. I applaud your efforts. And I'm sorry that you had to go through the things you went through. Something tells me you were a little motivated before this incident occurred. Absolutely. So being on a campus, it's no hidden thing that stuff is going to happen there. It's nothing that people don't know is going to happen. So it was kind of learning about that, you know, my freshman year, really being exposed to all of the different things that are happening there that really encouraged my decision to, you know, get more involved, to actually start doing stuff on a campus rather than just being one of those people, you know, who went to their classes, did their sports and then just ended their day. Well, I did a little research on 
date rape or acquaintance rape. Those are two terms that they're oftentimes used interchangeably. And before I go into details, I ought to say this. I'm a retired police. Uh, I've investigated rapes before. They're very difficult to investigate. And I think partly due to Hollywood and the news media and television, we think of rape as these violent predators and they're strangers. And while those do occur, I'm not downplaying that, that they do occur. The most common rape in the United States by far is date rape or acquaintance rape, where the, the, the victim knows a person who does this to them. Quite often, alcohol is involved. Quite often, it is not reported. And statistics show it's a huge problem, and it's one that's so easy to downplay. Has that been your experience? Absolutely. Unfortunately, it really has been. When you say that, by the way, the incidence of rape estimated to be 35 for 1,000 female college students report this happening to them. And most frequently, it's late teens and early 20s. And like I said, most often alcohol is involved. So when you say it's been not taken seriously, what basically happened in your case? Not the incident itself, but afterwards when you reported it, what happened? After, you know, everything that happened, I went to my campus police, reported it. Right from the get-go right there, it wasn't so much the support you would expect from it. You know, going to the hospital, doing all of that, going to the police station, giving my statement. And it was kind of right then and there that it wasn't really how you would expect it to be. You know, when somebody goes to this, you expect this overwhelming amount of support from everybody around you. And it wasn't really that that I had gotten. Instead, I had got, you said, no one stop in the wrong order. And we don't think we're going to be able to go forward with this. And it was just negative thoughts right from the beginning. When you said you use the terms no and stop in the wrong order, is that a campus policy or is that Connecticut state law? I actually was told that, you know, after being able to report my case and everything and pushing for it to go into like the court system, my detective who worked my case told me that I could no longer go forward because I supposedly said no and stop in the wrong order. And it was that instance right there that they couldn't get past. See, I've never heard anything like that. And by the way, and for people listening, every state has different laws and different nuances in their laws and terms that that a lot of people in the general public use interchangeably, like rape and or sodomy, are two different things legally in different parts of the United States. So the requirements basically where I came from for a rape, a first degree rape, would be vaginal penetration, forcibly, or a threat of force, and it had involved, there's the only way of saying it, a penis. So that was the terminology. There's nothing in it about no one stop in what order. So I'm kind of baffled by this. It, absolutely, me as well. You know, and it didn't even end with that. It was going more into, you know, I knew this person for, like you said, a lot of these people, they know who the perpetrator was. And I knew this person for a year. And it was the one thing that really stood out, I guess really bothered me, was they would take a conversation that the person and I had from six months prior to this instance happening and said that was consent enough because I consented in a conversation from six months ago. That's baffling, too. I have to be very careful in having this conversation for obvious reasons. Number one, and this is something we learned early on in police work. Number one, I'm not female. And secondly, I was not the victim of an unwanted sexual attack, whatever terms people want to use. So I can't suppose that I understand. 
please forgive me if I seem as if I'm talking in a detached manner. We are talking with Megan, not going to give her last name. She's a college student and she is the victim of a date and or acquaintance rape. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Epidemic. America's public health crisis. These are all terms that describe the current problem of drug and alcohol abuse in the United States. Countless lives are lost and heartbroken families are too many to count. Transformations Treatment Center is dedicated to saving lives. Call 888-991-9725 and online at transformationstreatment.center. Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for addiction, substance abuse, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Transformations Treatment Center has many acclaimed treatment programs offering rehabilitation and holistic treatment for all those suffering from substance abuse problems. Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. And online at transformationstreatment.center. During a conversation with Megan, college student in Northeast portion of the United States, the victim of a date slash acquaintance rape. Megan, before we get into the details of what happened to you, I applaud you again for having the courage to talk about this. People need to understand that I find it's very difficult as a retired police to talk about. And I also find it very difficult as just a member of the population, being that I'm a father of two daughters, I have four sisters, my wife and my mother, and this is something that everybody should pay attention to and and treat as an important issue and a threat. The fact that so many young women in the United States have reported that they've been raped by acquaintances on college campuses, about 5%. Oh, it's actually less than 5% are actually reported. It's estimated to be 35 out of 1,000 female college students going through this. I, I can't quite fathom it. And I went to college. Uh, by the way, I majored in drinking and I minored in sociology. I got a 4.0 on my major and a DNF on my minor. is out in a year. So I, I do have fond memories of those times, but I really wasn't much of a student, if you know what I mean. And that's part of the whole process of, of being in college, in college life. Oh, absolutely. And there's nothing wrong with that. But the, the guy, and I have to use his words carefully, the guy that you knew, and you'd known him for a while in college, you decided to get together and, for lack of better words, have a date, correct? Um, A little bit. So it was more of, I was with, you know, a group of friends and everything, and so we had just invited him up because it was one more person. Okay. So it really wasn't like, we're going to go out to dinner and see a movie type thing, we're going to hang out. No. (laughs) Exactly. Now, I'm an old guy. We use different terminology. We don't hang out and do Netflix and chill. It's like, (laughs) it's a date is a date. But one of the things I I knew early on, before doing the interview, uh, we've talked before, I can't remember a time that someone, my dad or anybody else talked to me, but it, I know it did, that when I was dating or whatever it might be, 
even as an old married guy, if the opportunity presented itself where my partner said no and stop, regardless of the order that that was set in, that you stopped. You didn't force yourself on them. It was just, everybody knew that. Exactly. And I think that's something, it doesn't, you know, being a younger person in this society, and it's something I kind of experience and see a little bit more, especially being on college campuses, I feel that those two words are extremely, for lack of better words, underplayed. You know, you look at stuff and people could say they might want rougher intercourse. So the word no, for some reason, just no longer applies in there. And I think that people really are losing a sense of what those two words actually mean. And they're pretty self-explanatory. Exactly. There's, there's not a whole lot of gray in no and stop. No, exactly. And I think people, they don't take those words seriously anymore. And I think it's a shame. And I think it's something that really needs to change. Well, we hear a lot, uh, the, the hashtag Me Too movement, a couple schools of thought where people are either very adamantly pro-supporting the victims and then others going, well, you know, boys will be boys and sometimes these things are not understood and shouldn't be prosecuted. And there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of gray area in the middle. Your situation, walk us through the details of what happened. So I actually, you know, being in college my freshman year and everything, you kind of get involved in those dating websites and everything. And that was actually when I initially at first started talking to him was off of one of those dating websites. And we continued to talk through my sophomore year of college. And it wasn't until probably about a year after I was talking that I actually, you know, decided to meet up. Because I was like, hey, like, I've talked to you for about a year now. You know, I'm pretty comfortable. And so I was with a couple of friends. You know, as I said, you kind of get that college experience. You're drinking and you're doing all of this. And so I was with a group of friends drinking. And we had decided to, you know, have him over. Everything was kind of very nonchalant, very cool and relaxed in the beginning, not to kind of put him under the bus, but instantly, you know, I got an uncomfortable feeling because he had brought, you know, a dab pen in my room. And it's just one of those things that I don't do and was being very, I don't want to use the word forceful, but was being very forward about like making me do. And I was like, oh, no, like, I'm not going to do that. And so after we had gotten past that, you know, we were drinking more and everything. One of my friends had left the room and we had decided to go into my room. And it was right about there that everything kind of started. I was all right with everything at first. And then I just got really uncomfortable, wasn't liking it, didn't want it, just wanted out of the situation. And it was right then that everything kind of happened, you know, saying no and saying stop. And we had a safe word and saying a safe word and him not stopping. And it wasn't until you know, later that he stopped only because it was convenient for him because he finished. And it was kind of right about after there that, you know, I realized like what had happened and it's, it's a very scary situation. So you kind of you sit there and you, you're just frozen from it. I can't begin to imagine the fear that could overcome someone in your position where, and a lot of people get lost in this idea that rape is a a crime of sex and quite often it's not it's a crime of violence and it's a crime of control but the fear that i'm in a position where i can't physically defend myself from an attacker of any type is difficult for a guy like me to imagine is that how you felt i have to say that was one of the things that right after everything had happened you know obviously i went home and everything and it was 
I don't even think it was in that very moment. It wasn't the idea that this situation happened to me. It was more of a disappointment with myself because, you know, you said you have daughters and growing up, you know, your dad teaches you, you know, how to defend yourself and how to throw a punch and how to tell a guy no and how to do all this stuff. You know, I grew up going to shooting ranges, learning how to defend myself that way as well. And it was being put in that situation, you're almost frozen and you lose every thought you've ever had about how to defend yourself. You know, I keep pepper spray in my lanyard. I had a knife in my room and yet you forget all of those things. And it's the scariest thing to go through to just suddenly forget everything you've been taught. That part, I totally understand. We used to have a saying in police work that, and I found for me, that when these unexpected violent life and death struggles popped up, they were very, very quick. They came out of almost nowhere and we didn't really have time to think. It was, we resorted to our training and if asked at the time what I did in what order I did things, quite often the answer would be, I don't know. I would have to take time to collect my thoughts. And nowadays with, with officers having body cameras, they at least have that evidence that can help them out. We are talking with Megan. Megan is a college student, victim of a date rape. This is the Law Enforcement Today show. We're gonna take a short break. We'll be right back. So many people ask me, how did I transition from police work to a career in radio? What did I do to become a music radio DJ? Plus, host of the syndicated Law Enforcement Today radio talk show and podcast. The answer is simple. I attended the Connecticut Schools of Broadcasting, where I learned by doing. At Connecticut Schools of Broadcasting's 11 East Coast campuses, students have learned by doing for 55 years. Radio, television, podcasting, and now coding for web development. At the Connecticut Schools of Broadcasting, students learn in months, not years. Day and evening classes are available. Connecticut Schools of Broadcasting is perfect for those graduating from high school, adults looking for new career training, first responders, and veterans too. For veterans, some or all your tuition could be covered by your VA benefits. Connecticut Schools of Broadcasting has locations in Connecticut, Florida, Georgia, Massachusetts, New Jersey, New York, and North Carolina. Connecticut Schools of Broadcasting, training in audio, video production, television, sports, podcasting, radio, and web development. What are you waiting for? Get more information. Call 800-887-2346 or online at gocsb.com. For special offers and consideration, tell them you heard about them from Law Enforcement Today. That's 800-887-2346 and online at gocsb.com. Again, 800-887-2346 and online at gocsb.com. If you've missed past episodes of the Law Enforcement Today radio show, never fear. You can listen to them online as a podcast. Just go to our website, letradioshow.com, where you'll find all the podcast episodes and much more. That's letradioshow.com. Back to our conversation with Megan, college student in the Northeast portion of the United States. Uh, This is the Law Enforcement Today show. I'm John J. Wiley. Megan is talking about her unfortunate experience where she was the victim of a date rape. When I say victim, this the only term that is appropriate for this conversation. I don't think as we talk more, you will have that mentality or mindset when you think of Megan. Before the break, Megan, one of the things you mentioned that I'm, I want 
not taking a task about, uh, but I have to take exception with is that you felt, and I'm going to paraphrase, you felt that when it became obvious to you that things were getting out of hand, you didn't want to go further, that you were feeling negatively about yourself, that you kind of put yourself in a situation or you knew better or you were trained better or whatever it was and then you weren't able to come up with that. I don't think that is a quite fair way of looking at yourself in a situation. No, absolutely. And it's it's something, you know, I've definitely, you know, grown from, you know, being put in that situation. The first thing that runs through your head is, you know, it was my fault. I was thinking and I did this to myself. And if my friends, you know, told me they were uncomfortable, I should have listened to them or I should have listened to my gut and not given them a chance. And it's all of those questions that really run through your head. And it's all of the thoughts of, you know, like I mentioned previously, your parents teaching you to protect yourselves and you get disappointed. You know, for the longest time, I thought my dad was disappointed in me from the situation when, in fact, he never was. All he wanted to do was support me. And it's definitely around that point that, you know, him and I sat down and had that conversation that I stopped looking at myself that way and started to, you know, as previously stated, get more involved because I realized, it's not my fault, and it's not another person's fault if they go through this. You know, it's the perpetrator's fault for doing that. You know, you had, in no point will it ever be your fault for that. And I'm glad you put it that way. That's a very good way of explaining it. It's not a question of fault. And, and people would say that all the time, and particularly about crimes of uh, sexual assault or rape. But they would say, well, it's the victim's fault because she dressed provocatively. Well, it's the victim's fault because she did this or she did that. And yet, when we use the same scenario and say, okay, the victim was murdered, they go, well, it's never their fault. So what's the difference? It's one of those things that, you know, I just got into an argument last night, actually, with a guy who told me that it could have been my fault because of what I was wearing. You know, I wore jeans and a shirt. At no point was I ever showing my cleavage, my stomach, my butt. And at no point does that ever even have to matter. But according to this one person, you know, a man can't control himself if he sees a girl in a little black dress. Uh, That's up to a man to control themselves. Well, I I think a lot of men, myself included, would argue that point. And, And I would love to have a conversation with a guy like that. And we would back in the day when we were young, Megan, and I'm, I know this is back in the day when I walked to school in the snow, uphill, one mile in both directions. Yes, it, it was a different time. But back then, <laughs> if we had a dispute with a guy in the neighborhood, it got settled. We taught each other how to respect. If you were disrespectful to a guy's sister, if he couldn't handle you alone, he'd bring a couple of neighbor guys and you learn your lesson. A guy that has that kind of conversation and says, well, a man can't control himself, he needs to have some of that old school respect taught to him. Oh, absolutely. And it's the one thing that really stuck out to me, you know, was this person had a daughter. And it's one of those things that a lot of these people, when they talk about, well, what was she wearing and everything? You know, I pray that your, your daughter never goes through it or that your sister never goes through it. And you just look at them and you wonder, what are you actually thinking about this? Because I hope that you never have to ever have that conversation with your daughter and tell her it's not her fault or tell your sister it's not her fault because it's an extremely hard conversation to go through on both sides. And for somebody to have that mentality, it almost makes me worry. You know, you don't want another girl who went through a situation to then just start actually think, you know, was it my fault? 
maybe he's right. It was what I was wearing. When that's never the case. No, it's not the case. And, and secondly, so many of the, and this is something, it's another thing in Hollywood that, that they put out there. People don't realize that the, in the cases of murder in the United States, you are far more likely to be murdered by someone you know and someone close to you than by a stranger. And quite often, not always, but quite often, this person you know who winds up being a date raper or acquaintance raper, it's not a long, far leap for them to become a physically violent, assaulting, and or murderer. And that's not a question of fault. That's just, that's the reality of what we're dealing with here. No, absolutely. And I, I think that's with a lot of the crimes you look at. You know, you hear car accidents and a lot of them happen closer to home and you hear about rapes and it's with somebody that you previously know and it's with the murders, like you said, you know, with somebody that you knew. And I think people really overlook that. And I think especially with rape that unfortunately Hollywood puts out this thing that it's just an attacker waiting from an alley to come kidnap you. And I'm not saying that that doesn't happen, but I'm also, you know, realizing that especially like for me being on a college campus, that's not necessarily. Yeah, that certainly wasn't the case with you. You, you, you'd known the guy, uh, you guys were basically having a party and there's nothing wrong with that. That's part of the whole college experience. And to speak bluntly, to say, Hey, let's go to a room and we're going to fool around a little bit. Nowhere does that imply that it's going to be, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? This is where it gets really difficult, Megan. Where you, it's okay to have those things. It's part of the experience. But if at any point in that experience, the young lady says, that's enough, stop, everything ends. Absolutely. That That's just basic common sense. I don't understand where it becomes more complicated in someone else's mind. And I certainly don't understand why, and it's quite honestly, two things that infuriate me about this scenario. Number one, if that guy who had the argument with you about Maybe it's what you wore. Give him my contact info. He can come have that conversation with me. <laughs> Number two, uh, you go through a horrible situation like this and are violated like this and put in fear for your life like this, and then you go to the authorities on campus and say, this is what happened to me, and then you told some crazy story about, well, it doesn't meet the elements because you didn't say no and stop in the right order defies logic no and it's absolutely and it's it's those points that it makes you you know my anger i had was infuriating the anger i had towards everybody around me for it was huge i pushed people away because i didn't think it was fair you know my campus campus out of all places for it to happen your campus should be the number one person supporting you because that's where you attend school that's where you live in a dorm that's where you're walking every single day and night and when it happened, the biggest thing that they were really concerned about was the fact that I had a knife in my room that was a centimeter over the policy limit. Not, you know, hey, this happened in your room. How can we help you? So you got in trouble because you had a knife in your room that was one centimeter too long. Exactly. And, you know, it took the, the local police department was like, no offense, you know, that was probably the greatest thing. You know, if I had used it, it would have been better. But that's what you're worried about. Yeah, that, that this whole thing doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I understand there are elements of the crime. I understand that everyone who's accused has a right to face their accusers and, and have a trial and also 
have evidence presented of their guilt and or innocence. None of those things occurred. If you want to be a guest on a Law Enforcement Today show, just go to our website and contact me through there. Our website is letradioshow.com. That's letradioshow.com. This is the Law Enforcement Today show. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. Finally, our heroes have access to a world-class program for PTSD, anxiety, depression, and more. The Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for substance abuse, addiction, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Plus, they offer complete treatment for mental health issues for those without substance abuse problems. In addition to multiple rehabilitation and holistic treatments for all those suffering from substance abuse problems, the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformation Treatment Center is a nationally acclaimed veterans and first responders treatment program where law enforcement, firefighters, veterans, and all first responders receive the separate and highly specialized treatment they need. Got questions? They have the answers. At the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center, call 888-991-9725. 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. Online at helpforourheroes.com. If you haven't done so already, please download our app. It's 100% free. We got versions for your Android and iPhone devices, 100% free. You can download them today at our website, which is letradioshow.com. We're all over social media. Be sure to like and follow our Facebook page, Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. We're on Twitter. Follow us at LET Radio Show Podcast. And on Instagram, look for LET Radio Show Podcast. Of course, don't forget our website, letradioshow.com. See you there. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. I'm John J. Wiley, joined by Megan. Megan was a victim of a date rape on college campus. And this is a problem that happens quite often. Before we the break, Megan, you talked about going to the campus authorities and basically the long and short of it was we're not doing anything, correct? Unfortunately. <laughs> so what happened with the, the, the guy, the suspect who, who raped you? So it was after, you know, rewinding back to when the situation originally first happened, you know, going to my campus police, they have a protocol there that you have to call somebody in from the rape crisis center that's locally there. You have to call somebody from the local police department. So right there, you know, I had started working with a detective from the police department right by my campus. And it started, you know, the whole process, going through a rape kit, going through the statements, identifying him on security cam footage, all of that stuff. And it was for lack of better terms, it was very, very overwhelming to go through all of it. And it started to kind of come towards an end when they started to really look more into depth. You know how I said that. I said no one stop in a safe word. And they said it was the wrong order and all of that. And it was right there that everything was just dropped. You know, they tried to take it to a court to get a warrant for his arrest. And nobody would sign off on it. Nobody thought that there was enough probable cause. It was tried with two judges, and both of them didn't think that it would go through. And he just got let off, and he was able to just walk away. And 
unfortunately, probably do it again to another person. Oh, that's the reality of what happens. When you say that the evidence they accrued was presented, was it to a grand jury or was it done on some sort of administrative judge? Um, I'm not entirely sure. It sounded like they had went to, to I want to say, local judges from local towns nearby. And maybe that's a, a law up there. And again, it's not that I know everything, but the laws where I police are totally different than they are in, in Connecticut. And where I live now in Florida are totally different than in Maryland and or Connecticut. But some of this just doesn't make sense. The elements of the crime were that they, they got physical evidence. They got him on camera. They've got all these other things. It came down to a point where they didn't like the words you used. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. And it was it wasn't just those throughout the entire case. This is this is a part where it really kind of bothered me as well, is it was comparing my case to other cases. At no point do I think that you should be comparing one person's rape to another person. At no point should you say, Well, yours was worse than mine. The bottom line is is it happened and that's a horrific event to happen to you in the first place. And it was, well, we don't think we're gonna be able to go forward because, you know, I've seen girls who were stuffed in trunks and in suitcases and raped there, and theirs was so much more traumatic than yours is, and we don't think we're going to be able to move forward because it's just not enough here. Well, people would use comparisons like that. I'm not going to attack them for that. I, I find myself doing it too when I interview people on, on the Law Enforcement Day show, and I go, well, what I went through in police work was bad, but wasn't as bad as what, what they went through. And I, I think some of that is understandable doesn't mean it's correct to do and i've been taking the task on that by by many of my guests i shouldn't do that but but using the same example of thinking when we talk about church officials raping sodomizing abusing sexually abusing children who are 10 years old where does that fit in the comparison you don't have to answer this it doesn't they weren't stuffed in a trunk they weren't beaten half to death yet they were raped the same and so, the, the damage psychologically and physically to that person that went through this is still the same. So I'm not quite sure what you're asking, but from what you I don't think I'm asking. I'm just kind of going on a rant here, which... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so, quite a right. So I, I, I understand your frustration with this, that this guy basically walks and nothing's going to happen. No, absolutely. And the one thing that caught me off guard, and he... During the entire situation, when he first came to my door, we were having a little conversation talking about ourselves, and he had told me that he had just gotten off of a probation because he had two things already on his record, and from what he told me was he had drug possession and DUI. And even with a person, I get in the scheme of things, you know, something like that, unfortunately, in our society, is so minor, you know, to be caught with marijuana on you it, it's so common that it people just overlook it but it's you're looking at a person who already has those on his record i'm telling you what's happened i'm giving you evidence i give you my bedding i give you a rape kit i give you all of this stuff and i put myself through that which is the hardest thing to do is giving up your belongings and doing a rape kit because you're feeling like you're losing everything and yet you still look at me and you tell me that it's not enough, and you still tell me that it's not as traumatic as other people. That's traumatic alone to feel like you're losing everything in front of you. I agree, and and you say it very, very well. You, you put it perfectly. There's no other. There's nothing about what you said. It's ambiguous. I understand from my perspective as best I can. Obviously, this was a profound event 
this had a big effect on you and you have become more motivated for self-defense classes and things. What are some things you're doing now as a result of that? Absolutely. So like I talked about um, in the first segment, you know, I run a PFSA club on my campus, which is personal firearm safety awareness. And a lot of what we do is we give people on our campus the opportunity to take self-defense classes, to learn about the resources on campus to protect yourself. We give them the opportunity to come with us to a local gun range that gives us better tools on how to defend ourselves using firearms. You know, not only that, but I also took things off campus and I started getting more involved in the campus carry agenda, you know, really looking more into that and really putting myself into it and understanding it better. I applied to be a state representative for Empowered 2A, which I'm excited to do, you know, because you're looking at all of these other women and not only that, but a lot of the members in Empowered 2A are also part of a project called DC Project. And it is women who are victims of rape and who are pushing this agenda that things need to be changed, that there's no order to saying yes or no. There's no order to saying stop or no. There's no there's no right or wrong in the situation. At no point is it your fault. And they're pushing that out there and they're giving these women the tools to speak up and giving them the tools to defend themselves. And it's, it's a really powerful thing to do. And it was kind of all of those that, you know, has really, really helped me. You know, growing up, I was already involved a lot with the 2A community, and it was just this situation that really pushed me out there more. You know, going to the gun range after everything that happened was when I started doing everything because it just it gives you that power back, and it gives you that control back, and it gives you that feeling that, you know, hey, he didn't take this from me. You know, I'm doing this. And it's weird to say, but it's, I don't think I would take back the situation that happened to me because I feel that it's, it's given me the opportunity to help other people. Uh, you know, I've had people come to me and say, hey, it happened to me too. Like, what do I do? Like, it's, it's giving me that opportunity to help other girls on my campus start going through it. It's giving me that opportunity to sit here and talk with you about it and go public about it. It's giving me all of those opportunities, and I'm so grateful for them. Well, I'm grateful that you took the time to talk to us on the Law Enforcement Today show uh, about what you went through. And I, I, again, I applaud you for your resilience and how you're taking this horrible experience you went through and using that to benefit others in a way that probably no one else can unless they've been through it themselves. Absolutely, no. And it's it's definitely, it's, it's a really great feeling. And, you know, I'm really happy, to, you know, to be here and talking to you about it. One of the things that, as a father, uh, as a husband, and having four sisters and I, I remember police workers I was attending a, a course and it was about violent rapists and one of the things they taught us to tell victims to trust your God-given instincts or if you want to call it nature whatever it is if something about somebody makes you very uncomfortable don't discard them and quite often nowadays a lot of women are embarrassed to say well I don't want to come across as a heavy look you can always apologize later on no, but absolutely, the, and that was trust your that instincts. Was exactly, my thought. <laughs> so I, I, I could, him. I could hear that when you say it was my fault. I should have done this, this, and this. And the truth is, you did what you could. You made it through. You are here to talk about it, and you're here to take that experience and help others. Uh, and I do appreciate you so very much coming on the show and talking about it. And I appreciate all you do to help others, Megan. Thanks so much for joining us on Law Enforcement Today's show. Very much appreciated. Thank you so much for having me. In every community across the United States, towns, cities, states, we have 
law enforcement officers. We have first responders. We have incredible stories of heroism from our first responders. In addition to that, we have heroic crime victim survivors. If you want to tell your story, just go to our website and contact me through there. Our website is letradioshow.com. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today show. We've got another great guest heading your way next week. Don't miss it. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya.